Coming to you from Asheville, North Carolina, it's the very spooky Josh and Tom Devour the World. (laughs) I'm your host, Josh Battenhorst. And I am what remains of the spirit of Tom Chalmers. (laughs) Yes, and this is our very spooky show that covers everything that we've been eating and drinking and thinking. Yes, I was thinking, what have you been... uh... Uh, conjuring and concocting and consuming. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sort of our chance to circle around once a week together to talk about all of the things that we've been encountering in our life and, uh, and sharing with our very special guest with a special guest every week. And this week we have a very special guest indeed. Uh, we have with us the Village Witch, Asheville's Village Witch, Byron Ballard. Byron, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me, guys. It's good to be here. Uh, nice to be with you. It's really fun reading about uh, the books that you've written and the, the place you hold in the community. But we would love for you to go ahead and uh, tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. We're good at the one-line introduction. You can have the next four or five. Oh, you're sweet. Well, I am um, not only a resident, but a native of here. My family's been in Buncombe County for about four and a half, five generations. And before that, we were in Haywood County, Madison County, and Henderson County. So my family's been here for a long, long, long time. And I practice a folk magic that comes out of the region. I'm an Appalachian folk magician. And I function really as the village witch. People contact me all the time to come do baby blessings and house clearings and to get spooks out of their house and you know that kind of stuff village witches do um yeah it's very cool i've been wanting to ask you questions about that but uh um we'll get to our game in a second but we'll just start there what makes appalachian voodoo specific to then maybe other regional types of voodoo Well, some of it is related to the roots of the practice Mm -hmm. and the major roots of this particular practice in the southern highlands of Appalachia are the British Isles. And I apologize if either of you is like a a vehement Scot. And so if I say British Isles, you're offended. Sorry. (laughs) But British Isles. Uh, another is the Pennsylvania Dutch, the Dutch yeah. culture, and then obviously the Cherokee once they got down here. Um, the uh, Afro-Caribbean traditions are, are a small part of it, and I'm not saying there weren't enslaved peoples here, because obviously there were, but there wasn't necessarily enough of them to affect the folk magic, but there's a little bit of that running through it too, so lots of different influences, but less of the Afro-Caribbean or the African diaspora religions, then you're going to find in places like the Low Country mm-hmm. and uh, New Orleans, places like that. I feel like every interview we do sort of ties into the last one. We were, our previous guest was uh, the director of the Asheville uh, Brewers Alliance. And we sort of asked her, you know, why is this such? She said, well, there's so many natural resources. So I'd also think, you know, we are here in the cradle of forestry. We are in a vortex. So there is just things about Western North Carolina that would lend itself to it, uh, I would imagine, along with those who have chosen to settle here. Absolutely. I mean, these are among the oldest mountains in the world. I mean, I used to always say, yeah, well, I live in the oldest mountain in the world. Of course, it's going to be whatever. And people were like, well, maybe not the oldest, maybe the oldest above water. And then somebody (laughs) else said, there may be some older ones like in Africa. And in, eh, so now I say among the oldest mountains in the world. <laughs> and also, we have two of the oldest rivers in the world that run through here. The New River. Doesn't it just make sense that we would call the oldest river in the world the New River? Of course, of course. it does. Yeah, why yeah. not? And then the French Broad is like the third oldest river in the world. That's, Go figure. That's fantastic. So lots of deep old energy. Um, which, yeah, we want to uh, talk to you about all of that. And, uh, and and I love how you sort of consider the stages of life and the services that you offer. Um, but we'll go ahead and start our game. We sort of check in on what we've been devouring of late. And I'm going to do, uh, we had a guest who sort of spoke of this rather than devouring something, which was savoring something. So mm. I used a uh, daily face lotion. I have used uh, L'Oreal's Active Daily Moisture. 
which used to be called Daily Plenitude, um, on most days for 30 years of my life. Um, oh, wow. Anyway, a skincare routine encouraged by a, a former girlfriend, um, but it is now discontinued. It is no longer available. Uh, I've, I've done some black market purchases, but the pricing is now four or five times what you would have paid for it, which wasn't very expensive because, as Josh will tell you, I don't like to really spend money on things. Um, <laughs> But it's just so, so I just know that I only have so many left, you know, in the in, in the jar. So I really trying to be mindful of the use and really appreciate it. It reminds me of I had a friend who found a Polaroid camera with a full load of film in it. And they've since made it available. But he's like, oh, there are only 15 photos to be taken with this camera. What should they take with it? Like, oh, that's pretty. But is it pretty enough? Um, so I'm almost in the same place. So just every time I put it out, I'm like, I may soon completely fall apart. There's not many things that I would point to, but I, I do feel like I have nice skin. And that has something to do with putting this on. Um, so uh, that's what I've been savoring is uh, my daily skin <laughs> face lotion Aww. routine is uh, is something that I, I, it's now a little bit of a ritual now. I, I literally sort of thank <laughs> the L'Oreal gods um, for giving me something because I, I do have sensitive skin. Most things burn, I will say. Um, which maybe be uh, exposing demons within. I'm not sure, but uh, obviously, yes. Um, but there's also something we'll get back. To, but there's, uh, but there's also the idea. But this is what I've used. This has been my ritual. So also, it's just something. I think there's a healthiness to. This is what I've looked to to be my replenisher every day. This is my fountain of youth. So I sort of believe in it. I know it's good. I'm sure it's got lots of crap in it, but I know it's good. But there's also something that you do every day that you sort of give over to like, thank you, moisturizer, please let me look this way or somewhat like it for one more day, please. <clears throat> um, so that is what I have been uh, uh, savoring uh, of late. And then I don't know if you have uh, have any things like that where you know they are coming to an end. And that is the question I have for you, Byron, is I'm wondering if the supply chain problems have sort of hit your community as well. <laughs> I gotta say, not really. I mean, not nice in the hear. sense, yeah, not in the sense that it has for um, it in the general public, because so much of what we use, we just kind of pull out of our kitchens or our mm. backyards or whatever. So, not so much that. But it's weird that you talk about your facial cream because I use this. It's Jergens facial cream and it's really old-fashioned mm -hmm. and no millennial would ever be caught dead putting this crap <laughs> on their face that kind of stuff and I have a big container like this and I've been unable to find it again uh-oh you so know I'm I have like a third of that big container left and I am now I'm starting to get a little frantic about that so I am savoring it every day I scrub my face with a little brush and then I dab that on and I, and it has a smell, smells like my grandmother. It's probably the yeah. same stuff she used. So I love the smell of it. And every day I'm aware that this isn't going to last forever. Um, but to that, and then we, I want to hear more about that. There was a, a phrase they came up in reading about you, you know, you know the, the art and science of uh, changing the material as well as the spiritual through the force of your skills and will. So I do think that there's something about the lotion, but also that I believe in it. Yeah. That I, I yeah. curative, that I believe in it, that when I use other stuff, I'm like, it burns and it doesn't work and I'm aging by the second. There's something about believing the thing that you kind of lean on every day. Yeah. Yeah. And because you believe what it does for you, then at least partially it does that. Could I, you, are you a Star Trek fan at all? I'm familiar with it, but uh, no, not, not to the degree that anybody would. Uh, in the original series, there was a, a, an episode called Mud's Women, uh -huh. and these women were on a mining colony, and if they, as long as they took this weird pill, then they were beautiful and sexy and whatever, and then they ran out of the pill, and then, and then probably Kirk <laughs> gave them this placebo pill, and they took it, and then they became beautiful and sexy, even though it was like an M&M. Yes. So it's just, it still worked. I need to so, buy my placebo daily lotion. Yes. So, so this was this was not the devour that I was going to talk about, but I have been devouring of late a lot of fish, the music. I've actually, I think, used that one before <laughs> on this uh, 
Uh, but wow. there's a there's a there's a line in one of the songs and a fish song uh, uh, in their song Possum where it says uh, there ain't no truth in action unless you believe in it anyway, which I think that's a great line for uh, for actors. It's a great uh, acting uh, exercise. I also have this vision of you, Tom, putting on the face cream every day now, somewhat like Pagliacci, the clown and, oh, yes. and like the tears coming <laughs> and it uh, being your. Your, Strangely, your, I do uh, play loud classical music as I apply it. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, uh, that is my uh, savor this week. And we've done enough episodes to allow for exceptions. Um, so, Byron, coming back to you, I would love to hear so many things, but we'll just start with your origin story. How is it that this is something that you were drawn to and decided that this would be your? vocation and the way that you would you know, present yourself to your community oh gosh how much time have we got exactly so <laughs> 42 minutes 42 minutes. thank you um so i was born in a cove in west by god buncombe county all right and and i am now using my fancy trained theater voice so you are not hearing my natural accent. Of course. Because I find when I, I mean, you guys probably are used to people who have the native accent, but mm -hmm. I found, I have found over the years that if I'm being interviewed by somebody in California and I stop talking like this, they don't, not, not only do they shut down because they think I'm stupid, mm. but they don't understand me. It's like I'm, I'm speaking with an Aberdeen brogue. It's like, right. well, what was that phrase you just used? Mm -hmm. So lately I have been, when I do interviews, I've been using my fancy trained Shakespearean voice nice. because people understand that. But I grew up with the same kind of accent every redneck kid grows up with. Um, but you don't necessarily hear that. So my origin story is that I'm a graduate of Inca High School. I did my undergraduate work in, at UNCA in theater in German. I went on to do my graduate work at the Dallas Theater Center, a conservatory theater program. And I came back here to town and opened a theater with my husband and ran it for about 15 years. And then all this stuff started bubbling up of my past. It's like you, you can never really outrun your past. And all this stuff would come up and I'd go, oh, yeah, I remember I had a cousin who did this thing. Or, oh, remember, we, we had a neighbor that was that could always find water. <laughs> and and so all that stuff just kept coming back to me and coming back to me. And and I am I embraced it instead of running away from it, which I'd done before. I really embraced it. That's so interesting that theater brought you back to town. Did you, what was the name of your theater company? If I Smoky, Mount, Smoky Mountain Repertory Theater. Very nice. Okay. And so we, uh, theater also brought Tom and I both to town. In fact, uh, my first show was the Scottish play, uh, in which three witches uh, are, are very much a part of. So, and where, uh, where was that? Well, that was actually as a part of a school, a touring pr production that was a that was a dual dual production between Warren Wilson College, which I was not a student at, and North Carolina Stage Company, which did hire me to come out and do it. So, um, so yeah, so I got to play the eponymous role in uh, in uh, the the Scottish play many years, many many years ago, and that's what brought wow. me to the mountains. Well, uh, and... I I played uh, his uh, fell dam. Oh, really? A couple of times. Yeah, yeah. The raven himself is Horace. The oh, croaks the awesome. fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. There we go. Yeah, I was, there... I was apparently a terrifying Lady Macbeth. So I guess that, you know, what's interesting, I think, about that particular play and its is, is its connection to, to witchcraft and probably the reason that it was part of the reason that witchcraft is brought into it was because you know, King James was a very, that was one of his major you know, topics of writing and interest was uh, uh, King James was, was, was demonology and, and witchcraft and sort of spelling that out. And I, I just kind of wonder in our sort of 20th century or 21st century sort of, you know, world of, of witches, what's the connection there between what we understand today to, to be the craft that, that you, you're practicing now and sort of, I guess, you know, the historical 
um, the 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 trials and things and you know the burnings of of people and stuff like that i mean is, is there a solid connection or is there more of like a uh well it's really just more of an honoring of a tradition or or is there some sort of like unwritten connection that you can tell us about no there's a there's a solid connection there but i'm i'm laughing because in the 90s i wrote a play that begins with the witches seen from the Scottish play. And James comes in with a <laughs> witch finder general to just blast these witches off the stage. And then these other characters come in who are actual modern witches going, no, no, excuse me, your majesty, but that's not what witches look like. This is what witches look like. Awesome. That's and awesome. The, the whole play was about that kind of interplay between what we think of as the stereotype that uh -huh. green-faced, big-nosed, warty hag versus the people who are herbalists and midwives and the people who are practicing that craft even then. But the craft itself got conflated with demonology and with uh, satanic worship and with, you know, his satanic majesty. And there's a, I mean, historically, there are a lot of reasons that was linked up. One of them was that the women in the village were always, always the doctors. You know, mm -hmm. they delivered the babies and they tended the ill and they and they cleaned up and buried the dead. But with the rise of the university system in Europe, the only people who were allowed to practice medicine were people who had gone to university. Mm. And guess who was not allowed to go to university? Women. Right. Yeah. So they yeah. had to they had to vilify women. These 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 people who have been doing the curing and doctoring for generations. They had to vilify them so that people would get then go to these young nasty doctors male doctors so that was part of it too i mean it's a, it's kind of a complicated thing well it's interesting yeah, we too. Were, yeah we was, were talking about that last week uh with again our, our guest about how you know uh, brewing started with uh, women and then some yeah. of the icon of, of which is the brooms were sort of indicated like hey we have extra ale or meat here if you need any and the cats were to chase the mice away and then once men were like hey wait there's profit to be made here let's yeah. turn these into something to be feared instead of something to be uh, you know appreciated so that's my question i lived in new york city for many years whenever i watch a movie set in new york there were just certain things i'm like uh they went into that subway stop and then uh, oh, again distances drive me crazy so when you do see uh, uh movies that will whether they are contemporary or, or going back you know um movies like the witch and otherwise are there things that you appreciate like oh i'm glad that they did know to at least include that and then are things that drive you crazy that you're like that never happened oh hocus pocus makes me nuts no. <laughs> i hate that damn movie but the but a movie that i'm i mostly like is practical magic okay. and what i really love about it is when they call on the phone tree and all these people show up with something like a broom and like one one woman has her dust buster and they and they <laughs> and they cast a circle and you can feel the energy flowing around the circle with the dust buster and the broom and the rake and whatever so i think that really shows more what what witchcraft looks like truly mm -hmm. but there's still things that come around to bite me on the butt and one of them is that a lot of millennials, frankly, will say that they, uh, one of the things we do that you all know, we cast a circle. And one of the reasons, and one of the ways you cast a circle is by calling in the four classical directions. And it's called calling the quarters because a circle is easy to divide into four quarters, north, south, east, west. Okay. Well, I kept running into millennials who would talk about calling the corners and, and and I go, well, the circle, it doesn't have corners. How can you call corners? It doesn't make sense to me. But I am not a trained ceremonial magician. I mean, okay. I have kind of a working knowledge of it, but not really. And so I ask a friend of mine, Evo Dominguez Jr., who is, uh, he is an amazing, amazing writer, magician, all that, theologian. And I said, so am I just missing something? Did this come out of some you know, 17th century grimoire that I'm not aware of. And he said, no, it comes from the craft, the craft, the movie, the craft. Okay. Gotcha. Like, really? So I'm still battling that, that damn movie. <laughs> <laughs> ah. 
We but, all have. So, yeah, Josh, I don't know if you have some version of that, whether it's representations of Texas or otherwise, where you're like, that is not, that is not what it's like. But uh, I love when you have, we all have, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a place that we come from or a, a, a uh, same thing. I, you know, I get it, but I hate how improv is portrayed in, you know, there's always the annoying roommate in the sitcom who's like taking an improv class. And you're like, oh, thank you for making everyone hate improv. Yes. And there's always the hysterical woman who can't get past her personal life and whatever hot thing she's having with the teacher or that other student. But it's like all of her improv. Oh, my God. It's just all about. Yeah, I hear you. I totally hear you. So Byron, I want to circle back to some of your work as an author. You mentioned a couple of books as we were kind of getting ready that you've recently um, authored, and you've authored more than these. But uh, most recently, you've authored Roots, Branches, and Spirits, and then uh, Seasons of a Magical Life. Can you tell us a little bit about um, about each of those selections and, and what we might find were we to, uh, to pick them up? Oh, what you would find, um, Roots, Branches, and Spirits is my third book on Appalachian folkways and magic. Okay. It ends up with ghost stories, which I've never written before, and that was a lot of fun. And it was recently uh, nominated for a Witchy Award, which is oh, uh, okay. uh, yes, it's an award series that comes, I think, out of California. And it was nominated for um, Best Folk Magic Book of the Year. Oh, cool. So I, I am unlikely to win it, but I'm really, I, it's that thing about being honored, about being nominated. So that was cool. Awesome. And then, and then the book that came out in August is called Roots Branch, is it called uh, Seasons of a Magical Life? And that's really takes the wheel of the year and it gives you ways to look at it that really deepen your spirituality through nature. And that's what I intended to do because there are far too many pagan people and pagan affiliated people who are really not in touch with nature at all and it's yeah, and, that's and this week we we saw kind of a big change in uh just 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 this weekend like this uh, the fall yeah. arrived finally you know and, and it did it seems like it always happens here around i always i always mark it because the leaf festival in black mountain happens on the third weekend of the month in october and you and if it hasn't been cold before, it's going to be cold for leaf. Like it just turns. Yeah. Like that. And and we had that it, once again, it proved itself to be true, even though it's the third weekend of the month actually happens kind of early this year uh, in October, yeah. as opposed to later. And uh, so the wind picked up. And um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit, and it's also, of course, Halloween is coming and uh, Samhain. And so could you tell us a little bit about what are some of the things that we should, uh, if we wanted to, uh, bring a little magic into our lives this time of year. What are some some Aww. things that we might uh, consider uh, thinking about and or or collecting or practicing or perhaps even devouring, other than candy? Ooh, <laughs> don't devour don't devour candy corn. It'll make your tummy hurt. Um, I want to tell you first. It's pronounced Sawin. Sawin, thank you. Sawin, yeah. First, the, there we go. Um, Appreciate it. It's it's Irish Gaelic, which is like it's like French. They have a whole bunch of different letters and words that they don't say there you go so and then they have some that are pronounced differently so it's Samhain Thank you. um and it it's like this triple decker holiday holy day really it's the end of summer in fact that's what it means Samhain means summer's end okay. it's the beginning of winter on the ancient calendar and it's also the new year on the ancient calendar oh wow so it's like this big third harvest festival which is the festival of souls and ancestors so if you really wanted to get into the authentic spirit of Samhain, you might want to think about someone who you love who has died and to do a, a, a little decoration, a little altar space, a little table space with a photo and um, maybe some um, think about them, think fondly about the things that you did together. And it's always nice if it's an ancestor. So if you've lost your a grandparent or a parent to uh, set up a little a little display for them to honor them, a little memento mori. Um, that's a, a wonderful thing to do. And it's wonderful too, to remember that Halloween is an American folk holiday. It is not a religious holiday. It's just a folk holiday. Yeah. And it's always hilarious to me. And it happens in Western North Carolina all the time where it's like, oh no, Asheville's full of witches. What are we going to do? 
And then they immediately cancel in churches and schools any kind of Halloween celebration. Well, we don't celebrate Halloween. We celebrate Samhain, which is a harvest festival. So the churches and schools then decide they're going to have a harvest celebration. So they change (laughs) from a perfectly nice American holiday with lots of cheap, bad candy and great costumes to a pagan festival. And it's always hilarious to me. (laughs) Byron, in uh, reading about what you choose to write about, I really like that you talk about, uh, you know, alternative modes of spirituality. I just like that consideration. So it's not super like either you're with us or against us kind of thing. So I appreciate that. And just trying to be in tune with the world around you rather than being in opposition to it. So you mentioned this past weekend, I saw you had a blog post about something where there's sort of a ritual or otherwise for a cold snap, like be aware of that kind of thing. So my wife, uh, Tabitha, funny, uh, it's her first name, uh, nickname. Samantha's um, daughter, how nice. Yeah. Is she still um, blonde? Uh, so she is an angry cold. So when it gets cold, she's just, mm. angry. you know, she's uh, thin and, and <laughs> but uh, whereas I would think you would say like, this is something to get in tune with. So the, the cold snap is part of a cycle and all that stuff. So can you, can you speak about where, where the cold snap plays into the rhythm of things? Well, I mean, in my personal rhythm, look at this pale face. The sun <laughs> is not my friend. And and so when it starts to turn cold, it's like, ah, I can bring out the flannel shirts. I can bring out the turtlenecks. But for a lot of people, they, they really do have, they, their emotional life is affected once there's less light Yes. And once there's less natural heat. And so I would say for anyone who is undergoing a difficult transition, that if you make a ritual out of it and go, and now I'm going into this challenging time. And in this challenging time, I'm going to learn everything I can about staying warm, or I'm going to learn everything I can about how my body reacts to this, or I'm going to challenge myself that I'm not going to wear my heavy coat until a particular time. And so you can set it all up for yourself in a kind of ritual ordeal work kind of way so that it brings more meaning to it. And you're not just resisting and going, oh, it's cold. I hate the cold. This is awful. And then you also are, along with spirits, you talk about roots. They're also, you know, so the, you know, the hot drink um, to, to know what it is, uh, not only just to, ooh, that feels warm, but actually might sort of warm your spirit and kind of carry you into that time. So are there things that you would recommend rather than just any old hot drink? Is, is there good fall into winter hot beverages? I'm a, I'm a big cider fan uh, from cold cider to hot cider with some cinnamon. And in fact, one of the things I'm doing right now is processing apples to make hard cider. Oh, good. So cider in all of its manifestations. What I will not recommend, which I had this weekend, was a terribly syrupy pumpkin stout. And I'm not going to (laughs) say where it came from, but, you know, if you're going to order a pumpkin stout, you want to get a taste of that thing first. Just a little taste because you may not want to savor it. You may want to send that thing back and just get a nice Guinness. Just saying. <laughs> this ties right back into, again, where we were last week. So it's it's, it's interesting to have our village, which is brewing herself right now, uh, a, a brew. And uh, a, a few episodes back, we had a, um, we had a guest on, Aaron Cruz, who is a practitioner of sort of entheogenic medicine, along with like sort of healing and stuff like that, using plants and, and things. And I just wonder, is that part of your work as well? Uh, are there particular native plants and, and concoctions and things that you use to help, um, help folks? And is, is there anything that we should be on the lookout as, uh, as things, you know, late fall blooms are kind of like starting to finally turn to uh to their winter brown but is there anything that we should be looking to collect and add to either our diets or just our homes or uh or our our fireplaces or or things nice well i want to go back to the brewing aspect there's a plant that is 
it is not native to this area, but has been naturalized to this area, and that's mugwort. And oh, okay. mugwort is what they used for beer in Europe before hops came in. Mm-hmm. And I've got a recipe that I do of a, it's a really warming, light alcohol mugwort sorghum ale. So adding mugwort, and here's the caveat, mugwort is, um, it's, it's a minor abortifacient. So if anybody listening is pregnant or thinking becoming pregnant, don't handle it, don't drink it, leave it alone. Okay. I, I'm assuming neither of you are in that category, but. No, not, not at least uh, physically. Even though Tom's skin is so beautiful, he, you know, he could still be, look at the kids, lovely. So mugwort is an amazing plant. And as the, as the light lessens and the dark increases, mugwort is a wonderful ally in deep dreaming and in trance work. It's really good for lucid dreaming and, and mugwort will open as we just, as the language we use around this, it opens the veil between the worlds of matter and spirit. So if you're going to do that kind of ancestor work that I was talking about earlier, you may want to burn some mugwort or drink a light mugwort tea or even, I mean, there are mugwort candles that are available to help, um, open your vision and open up your experience to that. It's just an, it's a marvelous herb and it's everywhere. It's just a great huge weed of an herb, but with, with the first frost, it's going to be gone. So if you want to use mugwort, go out now before we have that first hard frost and find it. It's going to be at the edges of, of parking lots, like gravel parking lots that have that unkempt barrier at the edge. You're going to find it there. It looks a lot like a chrysanthemum. Okay. It's a member, it's Artemisia vulgaris is its name. And it's in the same family as the plant that gives us absinthe. So it's okay. a wonderful uh, mood enhancing dr- a drug plant. It is a right. drug, I guess, too. But we need to remember that that Appalachia is one of the most biodiverse regions in the whole world. So there is tons of stuff out there, tons and tons of stuff. That's great. One of the- Your answer sort of brought me to my next question, but you already did it. And looking, again, just reading about you and seeing some of the descriptions of the, the sort of the uh, root worker and energy consultant um, was, again, I don't know, you did that, but I was like, how do those two things necessarily go together? And you sort of just answered it. But if you want to keep going on that, which is that those are not uh, opportunistic things. You're not just trying to like hit a couple no. markets at the same time, but those no. have something to do with each other. I really wish I had that talent. You know, I see people who have been doing what I do. I've been doing this for, you know, 55 years. And I see people who come into it and they've been doing like three or four years and like, oh, they're all over TikTok and Twitter and oh my God, Instagram is full of them. And I go, okay, I hope it works for you. I don't know. (laughs) I, uh, boy, this is a sidebar. I'm going to do it really quickly that um, I talked to this young woman who we were talking about tarot and I've been reading tarot since I was 12. I've been reading cards since I was 12, tarot since I was about 14. And she was like, oh, you read cards? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And she said, oh, yeah, I just love it. I'm really good at it, too. And I said, yeah, well, that's great. How long have you been reading? And she'd been reading 18 months, 18 months. (laughs) And and she said, so how long have you been reading cards? And I was like, half a century, pretty much. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was a sidebar. And then I forgot what the question was. (laughs) Just the idea that actually, uh, you know, uh, root worker and energy consultant are uh, integrated. You know, they, yes, they are not. Yes. They're not just you trying to cover a couple different bases and seeing seeing what sticks. Yeah. No, but I have to tell you, the one that does that, if you've seen my business card, I refer to myself as a forensic folklorist. Awesome. Okay. And and I stole that right out from under another author we were on a panel and he just almost said it he was so close to saying it and then when it was my turn to speak I was like ah well let me tell you what I do I'm like a forensic folklorist so I kind of dig between the folklore tales and I dig out the stuff that's not really brought out and he looked at me like 
I see what you just did, lady. <laughs> so I immediately went to Google and I Googled forensic folklorist and nothing came up. It was like, sorry, your search done. That's, so you and sort then, of Mark Zuckerberg him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then a year later, I, I did it again. And the only thing that came up was me. So I, I invite people all the time to consider themselves forensic folklorists. Yes. So they have like a movement going of people who love folklore and stories and myth. And they kind of dig in between to find out what that means. That's right. So can I ask, I want to kind of go back to Sawin, but for just a second, because I would do would like to, I'm interested to hear what do you do in your own practice to uh, what what does Sawin look like for our our village witch here in Asheville? Like what 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 will you be doing? I mean, you you you're not going to be dressing up in a in a costume and going house to house. I'm assuming or passing out yeah. Snickers bars. So, to, yeah. because I'm going to her friends to drink on her back porch. Um, <laughs> but I'm also um, the senior priestess priestess at Mother Grove Goddess Temple, which okay. is downtown. And we've not been able to meet in person, obviously, during, you know, the Black Death or whatever it is we're dealing with. Right. And we, for 20 plus years, have done a thing called the Ancestor Vigil, where we honor the beloved dead and there are lots of prayers and, and things like that. So, again, this year, that's going to be virtual. So it'll be on Facebook Live from the Mother Grove Goddess Temple page. And that's... Um, October the 28th, I think, whatever that Thursday is, at 8 o'clock. So that'll be one thing I'm doing. I'm doing a class on Ancestor Veneration, again, Facebook Live, but my page. And that's this coming Thursday at 8 o'clock, and that's Eastern Daylight Time. Um, and I've, I've been carving turnips into jack-o'-lanterns. I love to do that. Oh, um, nice. The, yeah, and uh, I'm going to visit local cemeteries where my ancestors are buried, and I'm going to honor them, take them flowers. In some cases, I'll take them food. So you went back to, wait, I just want to, don't want to go past that. You said carving turnips into jack-o'-lanterns. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was gonna say, I, I listen to yeah. the Sounds of the Season music channel on my, you know, cable system, uh, and they do all these little, like, fun facts where you're listening to like silly Halloween songs, but that's what they say. It was like, that, that's what was originally used was turnips. And then yeah. along the way it, it became pumpkins, but turnips by the Irish, I believe. Was, Irish was and the Scottish, yeah. yeah. Well, because the pumpkin is a new world vegetable. Right. The vegetable, right, right? yeah. Um, so before that they carved uh, turnips and rutabagas and all kinds of root vegetables. So I, yeah, I do that. I've been doing that since my daughter was in elementary school and I go in and carve a turnip and make it into a little jack-o'-lantern, but they're super scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, I unlike pumpkins, which, I mean, you can carve them. So they're kind of scary, but these like, these little guys kind of get weasened up as they dry. <laughs> and so they look like those creepy apple head dolls. Have you seen those? Oh, cool. So they, yeah, they're pretty creepy, but well, wonderful. Yeah, well, I was going to ask about that because pumpkins, well, that's kind of my my frustration with like sort of pumpkin carving. If, unless you are going to pumpkin carve on like October 29th, your pumpkin is going to be completely shriveled and like smelly and just like not right. really, you know. Uh, not good for much by the time you get to uh, Halloween night. Uh, do, but, and you're saying turnips have a similar thing, but th do they last a little bit longer? I would think no, they, do, they, don't, no, they no. don't last any longer at all. No, okay. no not at all. No, okay. If you're going to, if you're going to carve a pumpkin, you should use it as a decoration outside until about the 29th or the 30th and then carve it. Gotcha. You're silly to do otherwise. Cause then, I mean, you can drive around now, like in Monford, you can drive around and see, rotting pumpkins on people's doorsteps and it's like <laughs> okay i mean it is a season where we honor death i get that but uh, i don't know are um, there are there foods that are that are associated with this or or drinks that uh that that would you call your group a coven what or 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 the group I mean, that comes again i i was in a coven a big coven for about a decade but we don't meet anymore we stopped meeting several years ago but the the goddess temple is that it's a it's a church dedicated to the divine feminine but as far as foods i mean we tend to 
want to eat some of the foods that were the favorites of our ancestors. Okay. So, you know, my ancestors are from here, so they loved chicken and fried okra and green beans and boiled potatoes and all that stuff. Pie, pumpkin pie. I always, I start eating that early because I love it. Fantastic. Uh, I want to come back to, I appreciate it. Again, I, I don't I see it as, um, again, covering all your bases, but it seems there are stations in life that are, if you are in tune, uh, you're going to probably have something to speak of. So you have a, a ceremony or ritual for like a baby, and then you also have one for like, you know, a, a young woman's first period. You can also have the thing where you bless your child's first car. And yeah. then there's, you know, uh, the, the hand fasting for a wedding and all the way up to like recognizing and becoming an elder. Um, and so just review some of those stations in life and just uh, some of the specific traditions that have come up around them. Well, it's like you were talking about earlier with the cold weather coming. So you can ritualize that. And somehow by making something uh, ceremonial, it gives it an importance that you may or may not want, depending on what the event is. So surely a baby coming into a family and into a community is something worthy of celebration. But we don't think about it as a baby blessing, us blessing the baby. We think right. about the baby as new life and that it blesses us. Yes. And it's this kind of circle of happiness and blessing. It's the same way with a hand fasting. And a hand fasting is... It's not a legal wedding, though a lot of people will have a legal wedding and include a hand fasting in it. But a hand fasting is a year and a day commitment. And after the year and the day, you can come together with whoever you hand fasted with and go, you should come together and say, okay, well, how was that year? Was it good for you? Should we keep going? You want to try, you want to re-up for another year? And if you do, then you don't really have to do anything unless I mean, you can renew your vows if you want to or go out to dinner or whatever. But <laughs> if you decide that a year was enough with this loser, then you can go, OK, no. And, and there's a ceremony called a hand parting hmm. where you kind of bless each person on the way and they're going in a different direction. But it was all good while we were here. And and now we're not here. So to sort of to commemorate these events like like blessing the kid's first car or kid goes away to college and you give them a big old blessing before they go all of that is it's all about acknowledging our kinship to each other and weaving a deeper and a broader connection not only with family but with community too that's very, very nice, nice. Very uh nice. so josh uh yeah. perhaps it's time to hear First, for you to play our game. I know you mentioned a little bit of fish earlier, but uh, maybe yeah, that was yeah. your full devour this week. Sure. Well, I, I'll share this, that um, I think that there are certain foods. We talked about magical powers of certain things, and, and, the, and I think that there are certain foods that maybe have, uh, and, and, and other substances, of course, that are much easier to track that have a magical power over the person that uses them or ingests them or devours them. But for me, the one that I really, once I get started, I just can't stop. And you're going to think it's kind of a silly one, but it's sunflower seeds. Once I, <laughs> when I open a bag of sunflower seeds, that thing is probably not, I mean, it doesn't matter. How, and the, it, it doesn't matter how big the bag is. It's probably not going to remain unfinished until I get to the bottom. And I'm, uh, I've been doing Noom. Our listeners to the program will know that now I'm trying to, pay attention to the things that I eat and they're just packed with so many more calories than you would think the lonely, the lowly sunflower seed. So uh, I don't know, Byron, if you have any advice for someone who might uh, find themselves in a situation like me that they just feel like they're powerless over a certain food or a substance. Uh, is there any sort of magical advice that you could give to, uh, to a person who might be wanting to maybe uh, enjoy such a thing in more moderation? then <laughs> or is there is there a spell for moderation that a person could, could, could do well in my constant quest to be uh uh self aggrandizing i'm going to tell you <laughs> <clears throat> my third book is a book called embracing willendorf and it okay. will answer your question okay. it, it's all about it's all about listening to your body uh -huh. and what your body really wants 
And is, well, is I would is say Willendorf without knowing. Body? <laughs> what, what is Willendorf? <laughs> well, you don't know what Willendorf is? No. It's, huh? a pale, it's a Paleolithic image of a of a female, and she's enormous. She has huge breasts and a huge behind and a big okay. belly. Yeah. And she's, they call it the Venus of, of Willendorf. Wow. Now, now I know what you're talking yeah. about. Now, okay, gotcha. All right. Very so, interesting. Well, I, was gonna so, yeah, I, the, I don't know what I'm saying, but uh, depends on what you're, so I would think that there is something to, and you can tell me otherwise, but yes, yeah, sunflower seeds, just the idea that somehow you are kind of like ingesting the power of the sun when you yeah. eat these. So if you think of them not as like, oh, awesome snack, like a little bit better than hot Cheetos. <laughs> But like, oh, I am connecting with harvest and this, the power of the sun, um, which is baked into these. So I, I could see it as a total revitalizing uh, ingredient. Um, yeah, I know you have to pay attention to how much you would eat of anything. You probably right. don't want to you know, eat the whole hecatomb when you uh, sacrifice it to the god. Um, but, um, you know, whatever. But I would just think so rather than thinking of sunflower seeds as like, just a snack diversion think about them as like yeah connecting to these are little droplets of the harvest you know well yeah, and, I, and you I love hot even, cheetos too though yeah that's the problem you can even sit <laughs> you can even sit with the sun on your face as you're eating them so that that's it would true. slow you down a little bit there that's really the key i mean i don't know about you but i eat like a wolf <laughs> because well i because i was food insecure as a kid so when it's time to eat i'm like ah, ah, I blame my background as a teacher. I do the same thing because uh, when you're a teacher, you're given, you know, about 20 minutes for your lunch period. Yeah. And, uh, and you're probably trying to plan two more, you know, class periods or get materials ready. So you're kind of just like, you're like, I got five minutes. I'm just going to shove it all in my face. Yeah. <laughs> so, Slowing down and, and letting the sun shine on you. That's really, that's a, that's a great idea. Are you sure you're not a witch, Tom? I'm just curious. Uh, I married into it. I'll say that. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> I married into Mother-in-law is a witch, maybe. I don't know. Oh, no, it doesn't even go that. You don't have to go that far away. It's in the other room. Um, well, we just have a few more minutes, but this has been a fantastic conversation, and I appreciate it. Also, just want to say, I'm, I'm sure you must get like, you know, I'm pretty interesting the 11 months of the year as well. Why do people want to come talk to me in October only? So I appreciate your patience with that. Tom, that. are you starting? Are you are you perhaps saying when shall we three meet again? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we're curious. In thunder, uh, what lightning, else? or in Zoom? Yeah. Right. Um, when you're not uh, working roots or consulting energies, other things. Otherwise, if you, I don't know if you ever feel the need to sort of step away from this, but are there other things that you find yourself devouring when you need? just a different line of thought or yeah. to bring yourself back devoured, fresh to this work? I just finished devouring and also savoring a book by a man named James Rebanks, who is a shepherd in Northern England. And the book is called English Pastoral. And it's all about the transition from the hyper-industrialized farming techniques that basically are ruining the planet back to something that's somewhere in between pre-industrial farming and where we are now. And it was just the most fascinating thing. And I, I devoured it and I can't wait for his next book. That's great. We love that when that happens on the show. Josh is always good to like scribble it down. I'm getting, I'm writing that down. Yeah. yeah no, for sure. <laughs> and then I text Josh two days later. What did she say that book was? Yeah. What was that book? Huh? Yeah. It's really good. And it makes me want to have livestock now. You know, I, I'll mention one other uh, podcast. We always like to mention other podcasts uh, on our podcast. I've been listening to one, The Rest is History, uh, and it had a great uh, um, episode on witchcraft, That uh, which is kind of like how I kind of I, I wanted to get into. And uh, so I would highly recommend that as we're as we're giving uh, some episodes very short. It's kind of brief, but it does a really good job of and some they had a, a specialist on there who talked a lot about um she did a study of the witch trials, both in Germany and in England, and sort of all of the kind of did just a, a, a big study of all of the trials and who did, was actually put on trial uh, at these yeah. trials, because there are, you know, there are written um, logs of these actual trials that people kept. And so we have some pretty good record of not necessarily what were the practices and what were the things that were going on, 
but there's a lot of interesting information and depending on where you were at, you know, who, who was accused of witchcraft, for example, and uh, mm-hmm. in Iceland, 80% of the people accused of witchcraft were men, which is interesting, I think, um, yeah, as, a, as opposed really to in other, in other parts of the, of the world um, where different traditions come from. So uh, just a quick shout out to that. And I just, just because I th- thought you might be interested. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I do a podcast with a woman named Alicia Corbin Knighton called Wonderful. weird it's weird mountain gals w-y-r-d mountain gals nice. and we just talk about appalachian stuff folkways and magic and witchery and farming and gossip and and where can we find the uh the podcast about anywhere you want to find a podcast it's Excellent. pretty much everywhere wonderful and uh and where can we find your books are they on the shelves at, here in town in malaprops or should yes we, should we, and i'm always going to recommend people go to an indie bookstore so mm-hmm. malaprops they have them at raven and crone on merriman and it's city lights out in silva and i'm going to be out there saturday doing a book signing oh fantastic at city lights at three i think three o'clock out in silva wonderful yeah well, and crystal visions in mountain home well, thank That's you low, so much low, for, all for, for, for joining us, Byron, as, as we kind of stumble <laughs> over each other across Zoom. I'm so sorry for interrupting you as you're telling us about yourself. It was really lovely to meet you. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and do you have any, any final um, advice for us as we come into this, uh, this sort of holy, holy time of year and, and for, um, for our listeners who may or may not be uh, practitioners like yourself? Number one, save all your Mars bars from me. <laughs> you can send those too. And number two, ancestors are the reason for the season. So pick somebody that you loved who has made that transition and really remember them. Remember the good, good stuff about them. Wonderful advice. Thank you, Thank you so much. All Thank right. you. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Byron Ballard. And we'll be back with you after the break, of course, with our weekly take from tom and i've got a little song for you so uh we'll see you after the break thanks so much thank you and that was our village witch byron ballard tom how what do you think of byron Byron was great. We reached out. We had not talked to her before. Often the show is us being, hey, friend, who we talk to a lot. Now come on our show and let's talk some more. This is not something we knew beforehand. And she was she was excellent and, and very cooperative. And I, I hope felt that we were asking because we were interested and not because we were like, so what's up with being a witch? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was about my uh, my contribution, but, I, but I'm but i glad that I now have to know how to pronounce Sawin. I will try yes. to, to put that into my brain forever more. Um, but uh, there are other things I'd like to put in my brain. Some things that I, there's just no possible way that I could have come up with them. Only Tom can have this take. So Tom, can you tell us your take for this today? Uh, I will. <laughs> Uh, one of the things we did not talk too much with Byron about is that she's also an ordained Wiccan minister, and does we did talk about the hand fasting, the wedding ceremonies, right. uh, but being an, an ordained minister, which I am also, and I would just want to go ahead and celebrate that a little bit more. I know there was a big celebration recently of how it was this great thing about the ride share that you know basically. Society figured out how to take care of itself and getting away from the expensive cab companies and blah, blah. We should be able to drive ourselves around and pay each other. Isn't that great? It's good. You know, I think there's some good things about that. But I thought it was a really good thing when, it's a terrible thing, but when bride share became a thing, when basically like, (laughs) hey, I'm a civilian. I can go and become an ordained minister if I, as I did, you know, you go through the you know, the unity church or otherwise, and then you, you become someone who can legally marry people. And I've done so a handful of times and I was, I loved it. I took it very seriously. I was very honored when people asked me if I would do that. Um, I may have an opportunity to do so again soon. And I, I thought that was a really important thing as we talk about witches and otherwise where uh, the church can do great things. You know, the church can, can really impact communities, but 
them sort of owning, like, if you want to get married, you have to go through our, our hurdles and do our classes. We're like, yeah, I don't, that, that ain't me, though. So the fact that we're like, or I could marry you. How about over here? Like, nice, personable guy who wants it to be about you and not about shaming you. And then the, then the Lord shall lie in your bed with you tonight. Like, what? Yeah. So um, I just think it was really cool. So whether it is a, a Wiccan ordained minister or funny improv guy ordained minister otherwise, I thought that was a really nice evolution of society when they said, hey, how about if we open this up? And not nice. just have it be you have to go through those giant church doors in order to be considered a couple. I love that, Tom. I love that. I think, uh, you know, and and love means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And partnership means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so to not have it, uh, to, to open that up is uh, truly a, a liberalizing thing. We haven't had such a move in our society in a little while. And I think we're due for something like that uh, along a few lines. So, uh, well, great. Wonderful. Um, and now, as... what better way to complete the wedding than with a song? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I almost changed gears when I heard what Sawin was about, but I, I think I'll save a song for our ancestors next till next time. Okay. And instead, I've got a song about uh, about being a werewolf because because <laughs> it is that time of year. It is. So I'll just share this song. It's called the human part. Full moon shining in my head, it's crying now. Whistle blowing, run away, train leave the station now. You can try to win my heart, but you'll only get the human part. Ah, Out there, midnight prowling, got my soul aground. Ah, Picking up a rounder, let the poor boy ride now. Well, once the howling starts, you ain't talking to the human part now. I got big white teeth. Sharp as a blade, and when my claws get in you, you ain't getting away. I can run all night until the crack of dawn. By the time you hear me coming, you might as well be gone. Shining in my head, it's crying now. Put me on the track, and I ain't never coming back. No, I well, you can try to win my heart, but you'll only get the human part. Ow. 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 <laughs> yes. uh, so I'm sorry if anybody right. out there was listening with your dogs nearby and I uh, hope that didn't cause too much of a ruckus wherever you are. Uh, but if you are listening and you're still listening, we thank you. You are our favorite listeners and we appreciate you so much. Tom, any final thoughts as we move off into our, our next week? I just love the idea of the ancestors of the reason for the season. And in a short-sighted version, I will just take a second to think of all the people who have been guests with us along the way and just say, thank you, thank you, because otherwise it's just us taking and singing and 
um, that, that's about 10 minutes. So uh, thank you, <laughs> ancestors of guests gone by. Ancestors of guests gone by and, and uh, our other ancestors as well. We'll keep them all in our hearts and minds as we move into, uh, as the darkness overtakes the, the light for a brief time and, uh, and we move into the colder season. Well, thanks, Tom, for joining me uh, once again. And thank you to all of our guests. And, uh, and that's it for now. We shall devour again. Yes, let us. <laughs>